Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman, part of the Sports Digita series, episode two, here with Brian Kalka and Christy Grady-Murray. Brian is the SVP of Global Partnerships at the New York Islanders. Uh, Christy, uh, along with Sports Digita, EVP of Business Development. Excited to talk a little bit about the imagining sponsorships in the future. You know, I think um, sponsorships are evolving. They're continuing to change. How we sell will continue to change, whether that be virtually, um, you know, using different tools. And and ultimately, Brian, we'll get to a little bit of your experience in creating new assets, right? And what do those look like? And how do you sell something that doesn't exist? Uh, I think is, is a, you know, fun question to answer. So um, both of you, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, nice to be on today, Jake. I'm excited. So Brian, let's let's start with you in, you know, kind of your experience, um, role, the, role and responsibilities over at the Islanders, uh, kind of your day-to-day, what you're going through, um, and ultimately, as you're looking forward, uh, how you see, you know, sponsorships changing in the future. Sure. Uh, well, first, I should say I'm super excited to be on here with Christy. Uh, we've known each other for a long time. So uh, it's a true pleasure. Um, So I would say, so my role's responsibilities on a day-to-day basis is to generate revenue, new sponsorship revenue for the New York Islanders as as well as UBS Arena as we move into it. So, you know, very, very interesting and very, very odd to sell a product that funny part is you're, you're trying to convey to people about a brand new building and people aren't allowed in buildings uh, at all right now. Although Governor Cuomo just gave the approval of a 10% uh, capacity. So at some point we will start to see fans in some, in some arenas and stadiums, which will be a lot of fun, but um, yeah, very, very much, very much a weird experience, especially since I am only seven months into the job and I changed jobs during the pandemic. So Try, uh, try changing jobs where all you've done is moved from one computer to another in the same home office. It is uh, for sure a very surreal experience. One day you've got this many people working for you and you know what their names are. And then the next day it's this subset of people and completely different names. And by the way, we've, we haven't met before. So very much a uh, unique situation right now. Just to, just to hit on that real quick, you know, how do you go about building relationships with people that you're working with that you haven't met before in the same way in which you've you built relationships with your you know, potential partners that you also haven't met before? So how do you go about it in a, in a similar fashion? Uh, that's a great question. You know, I think that everybody has learned that this is just the world that we live in right now. And I think that you just have to give in to the, what I would call super awkwardness of, hey, do you wanna hop on a Zoom rather than, hey, can I meet you for a drink? Or how about I come to your office? So it definitely has been unique in that fashion, but you know, it's to me, selling is all about relationships and relationship-based selling. And so no matter whether you're on a phone call, an email, uh, you know, an in-person meeting. I think it's all about who you are and, and the message that you convey. And I think ultimately, and I, I'm sure Christy would agree with me because, you know, the, the sales world, regardless of whether you're in tech or in sports or in, you know, working for a restaurant, like when you're selling, 
it's all about who you're, who's selling it to you and are, are they believable and do you like them? I don't really, can, I can't remember in my own personal life that I've ever bought something, albeit small or large, from somebody that just didn't strike me as a good person or a good salesperson. So I think that if this has challenged all of us to become the ultimate salesperson uh, at heart, right? Like, have we conveyed who we are as people? And I think that's what, I think that's why people buy sponsorships or buy technology. They're buying people, the assets too, but mostly the people. Yeah, and I'll chime in. I totally agree with you on the need to continue to establish really strong relationships. But, you know, we just came off a, a training call this morning as a sales team, actually. And one of the things that really stuck with me, my takeaway from the call is, you know, we were talking about how do you sell in a pandemic? How do you make that connection and establish that relationship? And one of the things that was really key is that you need to be authentic still, right? Just because you're on a virtual meeting doesn't mean that you don't prepare for it just like you would you were going to an in-person meeting. Show up early. Don't show up late. Don't come in, you know, like your hair's on fire. Come in prepared just as if you were meeting with that person face-to-face -face and make sure you've done your research, know who they are, know what's important to them. What have they posted on LinkedIn? You know, all of those things are all part about establishing a relationship with someone and showing that you care and you are understanding what their world is like right now, knowing that UBS is going to be opening this summer and what does that look like and how is Alka and the team going to prepare for that is important. So I think just every day trying to get better at having a stronger relationship with existing partners and also with prospects. And, and to that point, how do you utilize technology to strengthen those relationships, right? It's, you know, there's a, an efficiency component to it or an automation component where it helps you succeed in creating as much as possible. Cause Brian, at the end of the day, you need to, you need to generate as much revenue as you possibly can. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind, um, I have been very lucky that um, anywhere that I have worked, those ownership groups have, have really recognized that technology as well as data and analytics really drive our business. So the technology that we're using now more than ever is so important, right? And, and I know this is, not, this is gonna sound like a salesy thing, but it's not meant to. You know, this is the third organization that I will have worked with Christy and Angelina over at Sports Digita. That to me is an essential tech, part of your tech stack, along with a Nielsen or a Gum Gum, because you need to first explain who your consumer is and why it makes sense. But then you need to find a way to convey why, like the, the passion and the cool coolness factor, especially of a brand new venue, right? Like we've got a live cam that is sitting inside and outside of UBS arena, which is amazing to watch the progress. And I, I you know, it's, it's so much fun, but it's really cool to then take that and to put it into some technology and send that off to somebody and have passion about it and try to get them to fully understand it. So you know, while I would say that whether Christy was on the phone or not, I mean, it's the truth, right? You need to separate yourself from the others and utilizing technology is one of the ways to do it, especially in a pandemic. It was before the pandemic hit, but now more than ever, you need some sort of live tool or video tool that's going to help you 
you know, get that message out. And, and I think it's just about conveying the experience, right? Right now, it's the experience of what is the build process at UBS looking like and what's the progress and is it going to be done early? Is it going to be done late? And people can kind of gauge things from there by looking at that live feed that Brian was talking about, but also just convey the vision of the experience for the for the islanders overall. Like what what are they trying to accomplish in establishing this venue? And I know, you know, Brian and I have talked a lot about that and what the vision is of UBS and, and why um, fans are really going to be drawn to coming out there. And part of that is a result of the world that we live in right now. And that it is a pandemic and people may not want to be all going into the city as much as they did before. And there's this new amazing venue opening that they can go experience a concert and a hockey game and any other um, event in proximity to their home. So I think, you know, I don't know, Brian, if you want to expand on that a little bit. Yeah, no, I, I think you did hit the nail on the head. I think that there's going to be, I think the, the, I am, I have full confidence that I, people are going to go back to arenas and to stadiums to, to want to watch sporting events. Um, there was a great article I read this morning in Newsday uh, about why this is an amazing thing that, that Cuomo um, has gone and, you know, opened up for 10%. I think that we have a value proposition at the New York Islanders and at UBS arena, like nobody else in our market right now. You know, what we've seen are these trends of all of these people migrating outside of New York City and going into the suburbs. And although we know that we're going to draw from Connecticut and New Jersey and the city and Long Island, you know, with more of that base now moving out to, to the suburbs, we just see this as a perfect storm for us that it's going to be, it's going to be amazing to when we open. It really is. I, I don't know. I, I I know it's a podcast, you can't see my ugly mug, but I am definitely smiling ear to ear because it's gonna be an amazing event. I've had the privilege of opening one venue in my career and that was Yankee Stadium, the new Yankee Stadium, I should say back in 2009. And um, you know, to be able to open UBS Arena is gonna be such an awesome experience. And to watch people flood in to our building as they're able to drive with no traffic and all these other things, it's gonna be amazing, it really is. Brian, one thing to, to question, you know, you, it's one thing to have a, an, you know, an arena or stadium where you maybe replace a scoreboard, right? And you're then trying to figure out assets of like, okay, well, does, does, is this comparable to maybe what was before? Or, you know, how do you move, you know, different sponsors into different places? But this is an entirely new building and you have to figure out, okay, does, does the asset we're about to give this partner work for the next five to 10 years? Right. It's not just, okay, how are we going to take what they had last year and make it into what they have this year in this new building? It's thinking ahead in the future. Um, and, and I'm sure Christy's seen plenty of how sponsorships are evolving, you know, in the future because people are having to think, well, if you include this in a five year deal, it better be worth what it's worth in, in the fifth year. Right. And so, how do you go about that process, understanding that what sounds really good today? may not sound great five years from now? Uh, I think it's a great question. I would say, well, first off, I should mention that we, we are, have an amazing partner in Oakview Group in building this, this venue. So they've, they've done things like this before. You know, they're obviously opening Seattle with uh, a Climate Pledge Arena with the Kraken. And you know, they're working on all these other projects. So it's fun to be able to work with people that have 
such knowledge and a great knowledge base about you know opening arenas and and different entity um, different spaces within the buildings that may work or how it's designed and so on and so forth but what i would say to you jake is that it's about education and making sure that you're not trying to force something onto somebody and not listen to them it's all you know it, the, the cliche of its solutions based selling really matters. It's about trying to understand from the client's perspective, what are you, what's your vision for now? What do you think your brand looks like in two or three years? And do these assets make sense? I can give you, you know, more of a high level example of, you know, in, in the, let's just use the auto category. Everybody knows th these car companies have different launches every single year. So that's the, that, that to me means, hey, when we're out there talking to these different auto companies, and as you can imagine, we're talking to all the best ones, you know, hey, what launches do you have in 2022, 2023, 2024? And do these assets that we're talking about here, do they fit into that mold of how you would go and, and want a partnership to look in those years? And if it doesn't, how do we pivot away and how do we come up with different assets that make the most sense? But it's also a matter of not trying to fit a square peg into a round hole and making sure that if you need to open your building without, I'm, I'm totally making this up, right? Without a beer partner, well then open the building without a beer partner. No one needs to rush. To Christy's point uh, earlier, you don't have to go into a sales pitch or for that matter, opening up an arena like your hair is on fire. You can literally take your time and make sure that what, you're, what you think you're selling is what you're selling. And we had that, you know, listen, outside of selling permanent signage, LED and stuff at Yankee Stadium, one of the things we learned in that first year was the flow of traffic inside the building, where more people were going, concession stand versus concession stand, where we should be putting you know, more effort into. And if you notice over time, what the Yankees have done a phenomenal job of doing is pivoting. And I give Marty Greenspun and Michael Tusiani over there all the credit in the world because they came up uh, with concepts of, hey, you know what? In the outfield near the bleachers, we should be building more of these millennial hangouts because that seems to be the way that things are going. We may learn once, once we're done with 2020, 2021, 2022, that people don't like, I'm making this up. They don't like car displays. They love AR and VR experiences rather than the traditional car display. Okay. Well, then we need to find more spaces to be able to do stuff like that. Yeah. And I think I would just add it all kind of goes back to that relationship that you established with the client up front, right? If you know that they have a vision and their vision is probably going to change. It's not, they don't know exactly what's going to happen in five years. Yes. They know the schedule of product launches like Calca mentioned, but there's going to be things that come up from a technology standpoint that none of us even know about today. So it's being able to evolve with your partners um, and come up with those unique new ideas and solutions. And I'm kind of tapping into my time at Kroenke Sports and my time with the Seahawks and Sounders when I'm thinking about when we were selling in those venues. And even my time now today at Sports Digita, our product is constantly evolving. And the things that we're adding, 
we wouldn't have, we didn't even think of three years ago, right? They're all relevant based on evolving with our clients and what their needs are and how we're going to make them be better. And that's just what any venue or team is trying to do as well. It's how can you help move the business forward for your partners? That's why they're in partnership with you. And it all ties back to that relationship and the trust factor and knowing that you're going to work together to make it successful. How do you get that buy-in? Because that buy-in is an important, you know, key integral part of implementing technology, implementing a new space, implementing a new scoreboard, whatever the case, things cost money and you got to raise money <laughs> in order to cover them. So, you know, you know, Brian, to your point with Oakview Group, right? And, and getting the buy-in from them on how you want to position something or whatever the case might be. Um, how do you get that? How do you, where does it come from? So I, first I should say that I am, uh, I've always maintained I'm definitely not the smartest person, um, but I could tell you that from the, uh, and I wasn't smart enough on Sports Digita at first when I was at the Yankees. Um, it, I, I'll give them all the credit in the world. Chris Insulera, who um, I, I worked with for, for almost 10 years, both in, in, at the Yankees and in Brooklyn, he was the one that was literally in my face every single like week being like, I'm telling you, we're behind the times. We've got to make a change. I'm telling you, we're behind the times. We've got to make a change. So I feel like no matter whether it's technology or you know a sponsorship decision, you need an internal and an external champion. So and and you, you know to your question, Jake, about how do you you know how do you make all that work? You know, it's it's you just need to have constant communication. You need to understand the assets that you're selling, and you know. You also have to have people that are, are ridiculously committed to the message, to the project, to technology. And again, I get very lucky. Scott Malkin and John Ledecky and Dewey Shea on the Islander side, which is our ownership group, have believe in technology and customer experience and making sure that the product that we're putting in front of people is the best product. And by the way, that has nothing, it's not just in sponsorship. I mean, Hell, we went and hired Lou Lamarillo and Barry Trotz to run the hockey portion of our company. And you, I don't think you could find two more accomplished uh, executives in the world of hockey than those two. Um, so, you know, you, 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 need, you need the right internal champions. And Tim Laiwicki on the OVG side and Dan Griffiths, um, uh, from a leadership perspective, they believe in all of that. So it's a fun, it's a fun experience to be on a project like this where there's so much creativity and everybody's trying to buy, you know, you're all trying to figure out what the right buy-in is and, and how you get to the end of the, the uh, end of the road where you're all successful. Christy, is there, is there a, a point in which you can be too creative? Um, I mean, I think that's a good, that's a good question. I don't think I've ever been, posed with that question. I think sometimes you can end up overthinking things and trying to get too creative in the way that you're presenting it, yes. Um, and so sometimes a simple video is all you need to relay the message versus, oh, let's come up with this really interactive infographic and do all these things and make people really feel immersed in things. Yes, that there is a place and time for that, but sometimes you can keep it simple with just a really custom video that's for that particular person or to relay that particular experience. And I wanted to jump back a little bit to your, your question. Wait, 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 wait. I, I have to jump in. There's no such thing as being too creative. I'm sorry. Because really? I, I, here's why, right? And we can, we can agree to disagree on this one. 
when you're on when you're on our side of the of the business, you need to find any which way to differentiate yourself from your competitor. So being ridiculously creative, whether it's understanding who the person is and sending them something or tailoring your, your, your reach out and, and it's attaching a picture. I have no idea what it is. I just don't think you could ever be too creative. Maybe you see that on your side, Christy, because on the tech side, you don't want to look like you're overdoing it and maybe mm -hmm. being overly showy, mm -hmm. but you know, I don't think that as long as you're being creative without being egotistical, I think that there's never a way to be too creative. No, fair point. Fair point. I would like to amend my, amend my answer because as you're saying that, I think about our creative team and the way that we come up with better concepts for our clients and new ideas is because of getting pushed to be more creative and having those conversations and coming up with, you know, they might pose a, a, problem and say, hey, gosh, I'm trying to accomplish this objective um, in my presentations. We have all this information. Yes, it has to be relayed on this one page. What do we do? And we have to come up with something unique and different for them. So I, I'll amend my answer because I think our creative team um, would probably be upset with me if I didn't uh, say something about, about that process that we go through. Um, I think second part to that is that sometimes though you also can't overthink things, right? That there are different types of solutions that you can provide and, and you can't overthink it to the point where it just then doesn't make sense because it's so complicated and so creative that people don't know what the heck you're trying to convey. So fair point, Kalka, fair point. Thank you. Thank you. I, I like just kind of sitting back for that debate. That was great. Um, <laughs> that's, that's why I asked that question. No, I, you know, I think, um, you know, Brian, as you think about your, your experiences in different sports, right? And, and Christy obviously has this as well, uh, but the differences in sports maybe makes a difference, maybe doesn't, right? In the way that you can utilize players, maybe not utilize players, right? There's a lot of ways in which, you know, sponsorships can change, um, but in the digital world that we live in, right? That's going to continue to evolve. So where do you see the digital world evolving from a sponsorship perspective? Oh man, it's all about custom content. It, it literally, the way, to me, the way that it's evolving is fans. I don't think fans want to, I don't, I don't think fans want to be spammed for sure. But what I think they do is they're willing to watch creative custom content, even if it's got a sponsor attached to it, if it's compelling. And I think that right now, and there are some amazing teams inclusive of the one that I work for that are out there creating some really cool custom content, especially during the pandemic. And I think all it's going to do once this pandemic is over, and I pray to God that it's over sooner rather than later, is, is it really makes people hyper-focused on you know, uh, uh, engagement and who are the people that are watching? And it's not necessarily just about, hey, I'm going to buy this dashboard so that I get these media equipment, you know, these media numbers and I can show that, you know, X number of people have watched it. It's about engagement. And I think that the cool part about digital, um, and this has completely changed from when I first got into the world of sports sponsorship, is 
you know, most people back then just thought of sports sponsorship as, hey, I'm going to slap my logo on a sign. And then when I'm entertaining people, I'm going to point to the sign. I'm going to say, look, we're, we're, we're big shots. You know, uh, uh, there's my sign in, in, in the outfield or on the dashboards or, you know, on the, on the LED. I think now more than ever, brands are just ridiculously analytical and ridiculously smart. And they just, they, they recognize that there's more to it in our world. And so digital is just going to continue to be such a lion's share of the sports sponsorship world as we continue on. So the more that you can do to build your fan base and to train your fan base, that there are sponsors that are going to be attached to some of this content about your favorite team, the better off we're all going to be in the long run. Yeah, I think um, the other piece I would add to the from a content perspective is also allowing those fans to drive their own experience, right? That they don't, you know, they choose what content is compelling to them and what information they want to know more about. Like, you know, you learn through data who their favorite player is, what jersey did they just buy? And because they purchased that jersey, then you might serve up a particular piece of content about that player. So I think teams and organizations are getting, um, you know, much smarter at really diving into the data that they have on their fans and understanding that they don't necessarily want someone to pick up the phone and call them all the time. They just want that compelling piece of content. They want to be able to purchase that item and have something come to them and be like, oh my gosh, this is so great. How do they know that this is my favorite player? Or, or wow, this is a social justice movement piece that's really important to me. And I want to know more about it, that all of those things are so important for brands to continue to grow their fan base, fan base and acquire new fans of all different ages, right? It's how do you capture the young fans, but how do you also maintain and keep those fans that have been lifelong fans of your team? So I think, again, having fans, uh, giving fans the ability to kind of create their own experience through your interactions with them is really um, a shift that, that I think I've seen, you know, certainly during the pandemic. And I think it's only going to continue. I think that's great. And, and it's also going to differ depending on what region of the country you're in and what kind of fan base you have. Right. I think, you know, Brian, to your experience, you know, over the last, you know, years of being in that New York metropolitan area. Right. And, and, or just call it the Northeast, right? That's a different type of fan base than you might have in California, right? Or, or Seattle. And so appealing, you know, understanding the storytelling component, we can probably go on for days about storytelling, but to, to kind of reel it into how do you make sure, you know, that you're telling the story to not only the fan base that's around you in the community, but Brian, you might have fans in California that are Islander fans. And so you have to understand that, right, those are diff two, maybe two different types of fans. And how do you appeal to them um, in a sense? Uh, any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's about leaning on your marketing department and leaning on the marketers who do that for a living. I, I've, I make you know, no bones about it. I am not smart when it comes to being a marketer or, or you know, being smart on technology, but you've got smart people for that. And you know, again, I've been very lucky that, you know, especially when I was over at BSC Global and, and now at the Islanders to have some really smart marketing people surrounded by, you know, with us and being able to drive us in the right direction so that it's not just content 
that is only consumable by one segment of people. It's consumable by everybody. And, you know, I mean, what, what happened to the Nets brand while I was in Brooklyn, when, you know, you get Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving completely changes the, the type of messaging that you're going to put out there. It also changes the type of messaging that the sponsor wants to be a part of. And right now for the Islanders, you know, we, we've, I love everything that we are doing right now from a marketing and branding perspective. And it's an enormous credit to those people that work in that department right now, which has been led by uh, my colleague, Ethan Brown, and, and just finding ways to recreate things and create things that, again, are very universal and not segmented. Christy, any, any follow-up thoughts there? I mean, I think, you know, as you've worked with a, a ton of different leagues and a ton of different teams, right, you kind of see it all. Yeah, I mean, I think it's people that are not afraid to be thought leaders and take a chance and try new, um, you know, we talked earlier about just your tech stack and making sure, you know, that you're, you're not afraid to try new things and figuring out ways to align all of those things you're doing together. And, and to Calca's point of bringing up marketing, the teams that are doing it best that I see are teams that are working in conjunction with their marketing department. They're not working in silos anymore. They're collaborating with other members of the team to really understand, okay, how can we make the most of this technology that we have across the organization, not just for selling sponsorships, but how can it help us with selling tickets? How can it help us with the premium experience? How can it help us with our community relations message and what we want to out there in the market about us and our players and our staff? How can we help internally with training our staff and, and helping people along the way in their career? So it really kind of runs the gamut of, of embracing um, elements for the organization that can change together for everyone, not just looking at it for one sole purpose, but how can things benefit the organization both internally and externally? Um, I don't know if that's a little too, too broad, but that's kind of where my head goes is just thinking about solutions across the organization and really aligning departments together towards the mission and the goal of the organization. If I, if I can, just to jump in on, just to, I want to tack one thing on. I think that a lot of times for years, sports teams thought that their fans weren't as smart as they really are. And I think that because of the digital world, it has made you realize as a sports organization that you need to be as authentic as you possibly can in the messaging that you put out there to your fan base, whether you live in California or you live in, you know, Belmore, Long Island, you know, it doesn't matter. If you're an Islanders fan, you're probably looking for the same type of messaging. It's about community. It's about your roots. It's about uh, uh, the legacy of your brand. And more and more, as long as you stick to those roots and it's not necessarily just off as an anomaly, I think the more people are apt to want to engage in, your, in what you're putting out there. No, I think that's great. And, and last thing before we go to our rapid fire, which is always a fun session, um, you, you may or may not be prepared. We'll see. Um, as you think about the difference between working at a property like BSE Global, where you've got multiple teams, right? Multiple brands versus singular brand as the Yankees or the Islanders, 
what's the biggest difference in terms of selling sponsorships across multiple brands potentially or, or properties versus one? Ooh, uh, I would, that's a really good question. So I would say that the biggest difference is the breadth of the inventory that's available to you and wanting to make sure that you don't get caught up in just trying to include a property because you think that you should, because you've got budgets to hit on all of those properties. I think that's probably the hardest thing to leverage and, and to manage, but the good people, the great people in our business understand how to compartmentalize, understand how to really do a needs analysis and not matter whether you work for a singular brand that plays in an arena that you own, or if you, you know, play for a brand that plays in an arena that somebody else owns, or you own all of it, plus, you know, then some, I think it's just about compartmentalizing and continually doing needs, needs analysis and making sure you're providing what it is. But I will tell you when going over from the Yankees and having these finite amount of in, pieces of inventory and then going over and, and having the ability to work with a, a friend of mine in Mike Zavatsky and you know him trying to educate me when I got there. Granted, I had already worked in basketball um, and hockey and, and arenas before in DC, but like just trying to understand, oh, so we own Nassau Coliseum and Webster Hall and Barclays Center. Oh, and oh, by the way, there's also the Long Island Nets and the Brooklyn Nets. Oh, and at the time we were repping the Islanders because of the agreement that was in place. It was just a lot to take in and to make sure that you don't get caught up in the fray of trying to just force something down somebody's throat. Yeah. And I, you know, it's funny. I think about my time in Seattle when I was selling Seahawks only and then Seahawks and Sounders and then moving to Cronky Sports and, and, you know, being responsible for all of the properties there. And I think the, the advantage of having multiple properties is you tend to have some different fan bases, different demographics. So you can address some objectives of a, a larger breadth of brands and properties, but to, to Brian's point, Sometimes it means that, you know, you're like, okay, I need to hit this budget number across each of these properties. So you really have to make sure that you are going back again to what are the objectives that they're trying to accomplish and which property is going to be the best fit. And it might be multiple properties. It might be every property that you're, you're repping. It might only be one, or it might be one initially. And as we talked about earlier, given the evolution of that brand, it may transition to additional properties down the road. So it's kind of that ability to be nimble is there a little bit more when you have multiple properties. But then on the, the singular property side, sometimes you have a little leeway to be more creative, just tying back to some of the things we talked about because you, you know less people to answer to, less red tape that you run into. And um, so sometimes it's a little easier to get more creative. Um, that's just been my experience. No, it's fascinating because as Brian mentioned, you know, you have some of these teams now that are starting to build these districts and there's all sorts of opportunities, right? And um, I think we all have plenty of options in the streaming world that, uh, you know, everyone tries to figure out which one they're going to spend their money on, or maybe they'd have all of them because they like their options. But um, we, we live in this world of, of multitude of options. So how do you make sure that to your point, it's the right one for the right reason? Um, all right, rapid fire. We're going to start off with this fun one, Brian. 
um, and then Christy, I'll go to you. In the in the process of a game, right? Baseball, you kind of you drag the dirt in between, you know, every third inning. Basketball, you're mopping, you know, the the key, and then hockey, you've got the zamboni. Which one would you rather do? Oh, sh- uh. Okay, hold on. Ask me again. Ask me again. I, you I got you got dragging the infield. You got mopping the floor, mopping the key, or driving the zamboni. Driving the zamboni. Christy. See, I mean, it was a no-brainer for me. Driving the zamboni every time. <laughs> having having done the dragging the infield, it's a fun one. Um, I I can't say that uh, I I probably side with you on the zamboni though. It's uh, <laughs> that one's fun as well. Um, when you walk into a stadium or an arena, where's the first place that you go? The bar. I promised Calkin and I didn't talk before this, but I was going to say the bar too. It's always social. I mean, hey, that's who you are. What do you want me to do? I want to get a beer. There you go. Well, you know, sometimes people go, they get food, they go, well, there's plenty of spaces now. I mean, hey. Yeah, but but your question's a loaded question because am I going with friends or am I with my family? If I'm with my family, I'm probably taking my kids to the bathroom. If I'm, you know, if I'm there with buddies or, or it's just my wife and I, yeah, we're probably going to like get a beer and do a shot of Jägermeister and then we're going to go to our seats. Christy, you got anything to add on that one? No, mine is still just, I would go, I guess, know your audience, but I, you know, stop and grab a drink on the way to my seats. There you go. There you go. If there is, um, you know, Brian, as you think about the arena, there's one component that you're most excited about. What is it? Uh, It's going to be too generic. You're going to hate my guts. I just think it's the overall experience because what Islander fans are used to in um, at Nassau Coliseum is just going to be the complete antithesis of what we're building. We're going to, you're going to just see wider concourses and um, you know, every, you know, tailgate bars inside the arena and you know, a loft club and all these premium areas and suites. And it's just going to be such uh, a unique experience. And the acoustics in this building are, are out of this world. So it's going to feel like you're back in the old barn watching an Islanders game at Nassau Coliseum. And then it's going to be like you're sitting in your living room listening to music because the amount of bass and, and the acoustics for a concert are just going to be phenomenal. So I'm the most excited about that. Incredible. All right, Christy, if you're going to go to UBS Arena in the future for a concert, who do you want to see? Oh, gosh. I mean, I really love country music, so I think I'd have to pick a country artist. Um, You know, there's too many to choose from. I mean, I love Old Dominion, so I'd like to see Old Dominion. But, you know, it is an indoor venue, so... Gosh, I don't, that's a tough one, but I think I'd just pick a country artist, see who they have on in the lineup. Brian, who, knowing Christy's coming into town, where do, you, where do you, what act are you getting? I mean, I don't book acts, so that's a, a positive for me. So you're not getting anything out of me. Um, but if the question is the same, if I if I if I was not working for UBS Arena, and I wanted to see uh, one artist, I'm probably and this is going to show like uh, my, maybe my age, I guess, but I'm not that old is I, I would want to see Paul McCartney again. I, I had the pleasure of seeing him at Yankee stadium. And uh, I grew up in a household 
where my mother is a the largest Beatles fan ever. I personally have every album on vinyl um, that they've ever that they ever put out, and I just think someone like that before his time is up in touring one more time to see him live would be absolutely fantastic. Okay, but by the way, but by the way that's but by the way that's no indication of that he's playing in our building. I don't want anyone reading into this. I know nothing. All the booking is left up to Mark Shulman and the UBS Arena team. I want no, no zero, zilch, nada. And I'll tell you then, given what you said about the acoustics and what's going to be there, when I think about seeing different artists in, in an indoor facility, one of my favorite all-time concerts ever was Billy Joel at Madison Square Garden. So I'm sure Billy Joel would be insane at UBS with the acoustics there too. So just to go a little old school with Calca, I'll, I'll throw in Billy Joel. All right, last question for you. Brian, if you had to be on the ice for one night, what position are you playing? Center. Oh, you want the face off, huh? When I grew up playing some hockey, that was like the position that I loved. I think that there's a large responsibility. I'm also a guy who's like six foot four. So, you know, planting myself down uh, in this, you know, in front of the net and, and taking some abuse, but hopefully tipping in a goal like, like, uh, Anders, like Anders Lee or, or Matt Martin or one of our guys would be a lot of fun. Christy, I'd throw the question to you. Well, I'll tell you, I watch hockey. I don't play hockey. No one wants to see me out on the ice. I'd be like manning the penalty box door or something, but I would shift to a different sport. Can I shift to a different sport? Okay, my sport would be basketball. And while I'm only 5'8 on a good day, um, you know, I'm a post player. So I'd be out there playing post and trying to, you know, make it happen down low. That's kind of what I, I'm a post at heart, even though I'm only 5'8". Well, that's not fair. She's changing things up. I mean, if we're just going to go sport by sport, sure. I'd love to be in the post. I also would like to play the hot corner for the Yankees. Um, and I'd also like to be the quarterback for the New York Giants. So, I mean, there you go. You left out soccer. Uh, sure. I'd like to be a, ooh, I'd love to be a striker on the soccer field. Christy, you you worked for the Sounders. You got you have to have some some sort of soccer. I mean, I'm all for playing in the ba- in the backfield, right? Like I want to I want to slide tackle some people and stop goals. I'm going to stop Brian at striker. There you go. So she thinks. <laughs> Well, uh, both of you really appreciate the time, the thoughts, insights, um, sharing your experiences, kind of what you think uh, sponsorships will continue to evolve as, um, and certainly look forward to the rest of the episodes of the series. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, Jake, thanks so much. Christy, it was a pleasure to uh, share the airwaves with you. Uh, It was uh, a lot of fun. Hope we can do it again sometime, Kalka. I hope so too.